Welcome to Funny, They Don't Look Jewish, where Judaism appears in the panels. Our purpose is to find characters, stories, and issues of comics that explore explicitly Jewish content. I'm Brandon Bernstein. I'm Henry Bernstein. No, no relation. relation. Hello, Henry. Hello, Rabinu Brandon. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. It's fun hearing that. <laughs> That's nice. Yeah, it's yeah. nice to be doing this with you again so soon yeah. after the last time. Yeah, uh, it is great to be back. We're sort of like kicked up the interest again and we're diving <laughs> right back in. Every time we think we've run dry on Jewish content, we seem to find. And one thing that's funny is like literally every time we're working on a new episode, I seem to send you a message. It's like, Henry, I found more new <laughs> stuff for this other future episode. So I love the fact that Jewish content and comics seems to be the gift that just keeps on giving. Uh, sometimes it's just like one little nugget, but it's amazing how much we are still discovering. It, it's inspirational and it shows that like what we're doing, our little project here isn't for nothing. So I, yeah, I, absolutely. I, if nothing else, trying to collate it all, all trying <laughs> to find every example that there is. Um, Henry, we're today very excitingly going pretty far back in both comic book history and Jewish history. We are going to be covering a character that far, far predates the very medium of comic books and uh, goes into the annals of Jewish history and legend. Uh, we've already touched on a version of this character before, back in episodes, I believe, seven and eight, when we covered Ragman. You may remember he encountered uh, a fun figure from Jewish mythology. Who was that, Henry? The Golem of Prague. The Golem of Prague. And we've already covered him in the Ragman episode on the DC side. But today we're looking at the Golem of Prague in Marvel because not quite newsflash because these are old comics from several <laughs> decades ago. But like, hey, listeners, we've got the Golem of Prague appearing in multiple Marvel comics. Yeah. And it's funny, like I, I mentioned this to my friend Rob Kelly, who helped us out with uh, the Seraph a few episodes back. But he was like, oh, sure, the Golem, yeah, and Strange Tales. Like, you know, kids who who grew up reading comics, Marvel comics in the 70s and 80s are are, are familiar with him. So right. it's, they, it's they remember. I mean, as we might discover, he, he might be infamous for not the best of reasons right. in, uh, as a Marvel character. But the complications is you, to pull back the curtain a little bit for our listeners, you actually messaged me being like, hey... Brandon, there is this Golem character that we should look at in the Invaders. And so uh, we're going to eventually get there. And so I was looking, and as I dove deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole of research, I wound up messaging and going, Henry, there's actually not one Golem in the Marvel <laughs> Universe. There are at the very least three different <laughs> Golems in the Marvel Comics Universe. <laughs> of course there are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why not? The 616 has at least three. And so rather than mix them up, we figured we're just going to cover all of them. We are right. going to look at all three golems. But before we do, there's an important question we have to ask. What is a golem? Who is a golem? Who is a golem? What? So uh, listeners, you may be familiar. There, there are stories told over and over again of the golem of Prague, uh, the most famous version of the golem, which is this giant sort of like clay mud creature in the shape of a man brought to life by a 
rabbi or other learned sage. I'm sure, Henry, the version of the story you know probably involves uh, particular words being written in the golem's head to bring yeah. it to life, right? Um, but we want to be able to give a little bit more of the background because the golem is, it sort of captures the imagination, I think, a lot. Like, you people may not know this, I'm part of a horror book club, and I really, you know, we talk a lot about sort of Jewish horror in the context of the book club because there's a few other Jewish members. And it's so funny when you look into it, it feels like Jewish horror is basically like, it's either a golem or a dybbuk. That's kind of right. all you end up seeing is one of those two over and over again. And there is a bit more that's out there, but um, within... Uh, the golem, there's sort of this archetypal story that we have that's a little more complicated than we might think. So in 1960, the great scholar of Jewish mysticism, Gershom Sholem, published a work called On the Kabbalah and Its Symbolism. And I just wanted to go there to go even further back. So he uh, explains and lets us know, right, like the Hebrew word golem is a reference to a word for like body. It's basically like a a hunk of matter or body that doesn't have a soul in it, right? Like your body minus the animating soul would be like a golem. It's like a a, a vessel, a thing, right? I'm kidding mm. enough, a thing of sorts. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, you know, there's all these stories throughout the Talmud and throughout mystical tradition of rabbis uh, bringing things to life and, and, essentially doing what we would call creating a golem. But the legend as we know it, as a servant to its creator, doesn't really start until about the 17th century, maybe the tail end of the 16th century. Um, initially, a lot of these um, golem legends are actually sourced to uh, Rabbi Elijah Baal Shem of Chelm. Now, he died in 1583. So, again, uh, he died at the end of the 16th century and in the 17th century these stories start up about him these legends how rabbi elijah Baal Shem, this guy who's like a master of the name meaning that he's sort of a mystical master he in helm i believe the same helm uh that you may be familiar with the stories of the wise fools of helm which delighted my childhood um this rabbi has all these legends about him creating golems and bringing them to life but by the middle of the 18th century, all of a sudden the legends have moved and they're no longer in Helm, but now they're all stories taking place in Prague and they're no longer Rabbi Elijah Baal Shem, but they're actually Rabbi Judah Lowe ben Betzalel. Um, why Rabbi Lowe? Because he was a more famous and better known rabbi. And like, it's a better story if it's a more better known rabbi, right? Like no one's heard of Rabbi Elijah Baal Shem. So right. shame for this guy, but but the golem gets, which first of all, that blew my mind as I was reading it. Because Gershom Shalom, it was like he pierced through the veil of everything I thought I knew about a golem. I was like, what do you mean that it wasn't actually Rabbi Judah Lowe? Like, I don't know if I believe in the story. I 99% I don't believe in the stories of the golem. But I was like, but surely the golem that didn't happen was Rabbi Judah Lowe. Like, right, what are you right. talking about? <laughs> now it turns out Gershom Sholem is here to tell us it's it's not him. So not only do we have the stories moved to Rabbi Lowe, but there's all sorts of different people with accounts of these stories. And one of these people who has an account telling the story of Rabbi Lowe and his golem is none other than Jacob Grimm. Now, I know you're hearing Jacob Grimm and you're thinking, is this some long lost relative of Ben J. Grimm, the thing? No, no relation to the thing. I'm talking Jacob Grimm as in one of the brothers Grimm, as in like the root of most of the fairy tales that we've heard in so many okay. ways. So one of the brothers Grimm, Jacob, has this version of the story in which Rabbi Lowe creates a golem to help him out all week long. 
Um, and he brings them to life not by writing the word Emmett on his forehead, but rather by writing God's name on a piece of paper that he puts inside the golem's mouth. And with the name in the golem's mouth, the golem comes to life. And every week, Rabbi Lowe removes the piece of paper from the golem's mouth, and the golem is allowed to rest on Shabbat. Right? Cool concept. Like every Shabbos, he removes it, and it's like, ah, the golem doesn't have to work either. Right. In, in my, okay. you know, in my mind, I'm like picturing, you know, the this giant hulking clay mass sweeping up a little bit in his, you know, yeah. his tiny, his tiny room. <laughs> like, right. But can you also imagine the like, all right, I got to get ready for shops. What do I need to do? It's like, I got to, I got to plug in the black. I got to get the food ready. I've got to go and like turn off the golem. Right? I got to, I got to tear my toilet paper. <laughs> yeah. Tear my toilet paper and rip a piece of paper out of my golem's mouth so that he can right. rest too. Um, so one week, I guess Rabbi Lowe must be particularly busy and he forgets to take out the piece of paper but not only does he forget he ends up going to shul and he's like in the middle of shul and while he's in the middle of shul just before shabbos the golem starts running amok and destroying town apparently he really he's like a baby he gets cranky without his rest the golem Christ. needs it so the golem's like wrecking havoc all over the place and rabbi lo leaves shul finds the golem removes the piece of paper with god's name on it tears it. Oh, no more golem. The golem turns into dust, right? Mm -hmm. Fades away. Um, at that moment, Rabbi Lowe returns to the shul, asks that they read the Sabbath Psalm again, Psalm 92. It's like, hey, we need to do it again. Like, you know, I missed it. I came in because it was beforehand <laughs> and they recite it second. And apparently this custom, and apparently this custom is the custom all the way this to this day in the Altnoy Shul, right? Like e even now, the Altnoy Shul has this custom of reading the Sabbath Psalm twice, and it's all related to the story of the Golem and Rabbi Lowe, even though the story didn't actually happen with Rabbi Lowe, as we discovered. But right. according to the Brothers Grimm, it did. Uh, that's all the background. We might get into a bit more Gershom Sholem later on, uh, but I've been saw talking way too much, Henry, uh, giving us this Golem history. You, it was well told, Brandon. Really, really great. I, I, I love. It's so interesting that he t he tears up the, a paper with the name of God. You know, like that. That seems like a very um, unusual thing for a, for a, a rabbi to do, or any what, any Jewish. What person. a totally dramatic thing, right? And like this is on the eve of Sabbath. This is going right. into Shabbat, right? So it's like there's all this concern over writing on Shabbat and destroying on Shabbat, and right, like the idea of destroying God's name of all things, like, but. That's what it is to undo creation. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, what a concept! The idea that to to just to rip up God's name is essentially to undo creation itself. Yeah, yeah, pretty cool. Pretty cool. But that story is now background for us. Let's dive into the colorful comics that we oh so love. Um, what are we looking at first, Henry? Great. So first, we're going to look at the Incredible Hulk number one thirty four, September nineteen seventy. Among Us walks the golem written by roy thomas penciled by herb trimpey inked by sal busima lettered by Artie simic and edited by stan lee and i love uh, that title of among us walks the golem because now cool. i'm just imagining playing among us and it's like golem zacking <laughs> really sucks <laughs> <laughs> that's funny uh, yeah i uh i really i was like really drawn to this cover and i'll post this on our uh, facebook as i always do because herb Trimpy or Trimp, he he draws in the style of Jack Kirby, where normally during this era in the 70s, you're getting a straight Marvel House style, which we've talked about before, because I really like admire it. And that's more like yeah. the Sal Busima or the uh, Ramida kind of stuff. But here he's like, 
there that's Kir that's Kirby's Hulk right there on the cover. So I, mm. I really, really think that's a really cool thing. And it it's also reminiscent of the first Hulk cover, which with where this shadow of the the golem, which which is bigger than the Hulk, is behind him. And the Hulk, of course, that first original cover, you know, is he man? Is it, you know, it's like a is, is he, he man? Is he monster? Or right, is and you, he and you both right. Yeah. You see Bruce Banner, and then behind it is you know, it's like the different size images. So I don't know. I just you know, every now and then I like to point out those uh, little artistic things. Very cool. Yeah. So the Jewish stuff picks up on page four or three, depending on your looking in comicsology. Uh, may its memory be a blessing or in the in the hard copy. But we, we pick up in the fictional country of Morvania. And um, I love that comic book tendency of making something that sounds almost like a European country, but isn't quite. And then it's like, yeah, Morvania, that sounds like European enough. I know. Yeah. I mean, DC does it with Kondok in the Middle East. That's oh, there. completely. I mean, Latveria yeah. in the Marvel right. Universe with Dr. Doom, right? right. It's yeah. clearly Romania or something. Yeah. Right. Like near well, Latvia. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, you know, I was going to say this in a minute after we got through some of the pages, but I'll just say it now in terms of the set dressing, it, it, it says a specter is haunting Morvania, the specter men call the Hulk. And you're getting like this cottage and this little girl. It seems very old fashioned and quaint, but there's no indication that like the Hulk time traveled or anything like he's in Morvania in 1970. So why does it look like Eastern Europe in like 1910? You know what yeah, I mean? There's this, there's this tendency of it feels like in a lot of the comics to kind of like look at Eastern Europe as like, it's so backwards that living in it, like it feels like you're in the sound of music or something like right. that. Right. It's like, <laughs> like, it's like a, it's like a, a late 1800s or early 1900s vibe to every town. I feel like there are issues where they go to Latveria also, right? Like there's definitely, like just, it's very strange, but I mean, I guess this is comic writers in the seventies. They have their strengths and their weaknesses. <laughs> right. So the, this little girl bumps into the Hulk and uh, her name is Rebecca, and she takes him home to 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 meet her Abba, I guess. And it's so wild. Like I know, I know we're talking about Golem, but the other thing it's just, just making me think of is like Frankenstein. And when a little right. girl meets Frankenstein, that's this terrifying moment in the in the movie where Frankenstein goes to befriend her and ends up hurting her. And it's so funny that it's like this little girl finds Hulk, but instead of freaked out, she's like, "Great, I got to bring the Hulk down." To you know, home to his dad. <laughs> yeah, like, right. <laughs> what a silly, funny thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> well, she brings him home. And of course the father's reaction is good Lord. No, it's the monster. And he like tells his, his daughter to run and he's holding a, you know, a, a stick and the Hulk sort of runs away. And he said, he's the one you told me about the golem. And the dad is sort of like, you know, distantly the golem. And he retells the, the story. Before we get into that. Yeah. Up until this point, right? Like, did you have any inkling at all that this weird early 20th century <laughs> version of a European country, that these were Jews here? Like there was, there were no indications that uh, these Rebecca are and Isaac. People. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's in the names. It's in the yeah. names that, that her name's Rebecca and his name's Isaac. That but seems like, coded to me. But it's very coded, right? Like, yeah. literally, as I was reading it again, 
up until the part where he will get to it up until he starts saying like, this is a story of our people. Um, right. Like up until that point, I was like, maybe they're trying to pretend the golem is a story for a non-Jewish group of people. Like there's nothing that says these are the Jews. They're not wearing any stars of David. Right. As you said, it's all very coded wink, wink. If you know, you know, but it's entirely possible to read the story and have no idea that this is Jewish. Right. Right. I mean, we've seen we've seen that before. Right. In these in these comics. Yeah. So the the father says uh, the, the golem is an old legend I told to Rachel and a dream I never dared believe. Yeah, his Rachel's the other one. So we've got Rebecca, Rachel and Isaac. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. All right. It's very it's very strongly coded. Yes. So I just want to read his caption because I think it's uh, what he says in his retelling. The legend was born centuries ago in the city of Prague as the grim serpent persecution reared its head in the land and our people hid in cellars and attics and the rabbi Judah Lowe Ben Bitzalel breathed life into a body without a soul. And he goes on to to tell the 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 rest of the story, and then says, "Then the creature of Rabbi Lo vanished, turned back into a statue. Some said, or wandered off to a new land. Said others, perhaps even here to Morvania." And so I was sort of like wondering, how did that stack up against your retelling of the the tale of Rabbi Lo and the Golem? Yeah, right, like quite different especially the fact that the golem survives like i don't know of any golem legend in which the golem isn't destroyed at the end whether by erasing the olive from emmet on his forehead or tearing up the piece of paper in his mouth like the golem always seems to get destroyed but i really i mean i'm not surprised that a writer as a creative exercise comes up with the golem doing something else. Of course, there right. are all sorts of stories. Um, I'm blanking on the author, but there's that novel, the golem and the genie that imagines like a golem and a genie coming to the U S and immigrating and right. telling the story in that way. So I'm not surprised by that, but like, it's a very different story where the golem is sort of purely acting out as a, as sort of a, um, the art, of justice right and then yeah. sort of going off to whatever might come next it's a very different version of the story um and i will point out obviously the fact he says rabbi it's like uh, that's probably the strongest giveaway yeah. also that this is a jewish story absolutely you know also he's sort of telling they're telling the story of the golem the way we're they're hitting us over the head with the analogies to the hulk right the hulk in the 1970s his whole shtick was wandering from place to place you know sure right coming right, in, right beating the bad guys most of the people are scared of him, but some, you know, the, the 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 best person there isn't, and then he wanders off to the next place. Right, and that's interesting that he's there to defend the people who are oppressed, and they view him as a hero, but everyone else views him as this horrible force of destruction as he's going. Yeah, it really is lining up the parallels with the Hulk. The other thing I find really funny about it is just the way that they're like, the way he tells the story, it's like it's this ancient tale from so many thousands of years ago. But yeah. like the Golem stories are from like the 17th century, right? Which right. like it's 300 years ago. And yes, that's a long time. But also in the grand scheme of Jewish tradition, it's not. It's so new compared right. to most of Judaism. So it's always funny when it's like, let me tell you the old ancient tale <laughs> of the golem when we're like, the golem's like the newest thing Judaism has. Right. Like when I think an ancient Jewish story, I think the Torah and right. – Maybe the Talmud, maybe the Mishnah, you know, yeah, <laughs> you, yeah. maybe I'll get you to year 200 
CE, but ancient but even that is like to me that's like modern times you know (laughs) what do you think about jewish history (laughs) i feel like it's reflective of that like that particularly american experience of it's like our own history in this country is so new so our time scale (laughs) difference is so different right it's like this is even before the declaration of independence it's from forever ago (laughs) um but anyway so so hulk is mistook for the golem um he's resisting that as you said and what happens next we cut to on page uh six or seven a dictator in morvania so not only are these jews living like it's eastern europe in the 1910s or 1800s in morvania they also have a hitler-like dictator there oppressing them he looks kind of like lex luther and yeah he and um his his henchmen are reporting to him. What is that you say, man? The monster has made his home in the old city. And his henchperson, who looks very much like a Nazi, says, yes, Excellency. A lot. Yeah. yeah. Nor will any of my men willingly go near it. They believe the rumors that say he is the mighty golem of Jewish legend. So there's your Jewish. It took a Nazi proxy on page seven to mention that these people are not what we want but look henry i'm just saying we're we're looking for explicitly jewish content i want them to label it yes lay it out say it say can i just i just i have to point this out like the the premise here i I, you know yeah Yeah. all due respect to roy thomas he's done a lot more for comic books than i have on both uh, in both sides but the premise that a Jewish people are being oppressed in a Europe, Eastern European town in the 1970s by a dictator who's saluting like Hitler. It's just, it doesn't make sense. Like why, what happened to Morvania in, in between 1933 and 1945 that they survived <laughs> that, but no. <laughs> right. The only possible thing I can think is this is somehow like behind the iron curtain and therefore is like like not part of the Western world, but somehow is also not part of the Soviet union because there's this independent dictator within it. Um, I don't know. Marvel loves doing its own funky geography and history. And I think we just have to chalk it up to that. Um, But yeah, I mean, I'm also seeing as we look on this page, uh, we don't need to spend too much time there. But as the dictator who goes by the name of Draxon is standing there, we see like the giant, uh, the sort of like flags that are out and the and the uh, like, it's very. It doesn't look like nazi insignias but it's definitely nodding toward like it's very fascistic but it doesn't not look like nazi yeah yeah yeah, exactly (laughs) it's like it's pointing towards it without parroting it or being it directly but it's definitely like yeah we get what you're going yeah well it's in the way that they coded rebecca rachel and isaac on the first page they're coding the nazis here i guess (laughs) right right right. and then i mean there's basically a bunch of fighting back and forth and Hulk getting involved and not getting involved. And what really matters is uh, right before the Hulk finally gets involved, Henry, what do we have? The little girl begs the Hulk to be their protector, essentially their, their golem. And right. she... be our golem, please help <laughs> us. And she very dramatically cries as he reaches out a finger and her tear 
a very big splash on his giant finger and he yeah. looks at it and he just he just he just he kind of grimaces at it but the hulk says yes hulk will help you so it, it's you know and the, then the hulk does what hulk does and he smashes you're right hulk smashes i kind of feel bad just like with with golem basically meaning like a physical form without much interiority to it, right? She's like, Hulk, we don't really care about it. Just be our protector. Just go yeah. and like smash everything. Be uh, our gelatinous, gelatinous glob of that doesn't have a soul until we tell yeah. it to. Yeah. <laughs> um, one thing that I love is at the very end, there's this really weird reference to the idea. Basically, the the, the people say to Hulk, like, oh, you killed the dictator, and according to our rules. Uh, whoever kills the dictator becomes the new ruler. <laughs> so, like you basically get the chance. And Hulk is like, I want nothing to do with this. They give him an amulet. The Hulk smashes the amulet. And they're like, oh, you really are the golem. You've saved us. You've like set us free. No more dictators. And Hulk wanders off basically being like, wait, what's a golem? Golem? Uh, Wonder what a golem. <laughs> right. Um, as much as the Hulk is doing exactly what the end of the story is, according to Isaac, right? Which is he saves the day and then he wanders off to lands unknown. Um, So, right, that's our first issue where uh, we're kind of alluding to the Golem and playing with Jewish ideas, but we have not seen a character named the Golem. Uh, And that's about to change with the second issue we're taking a look at. Right. We're looking at Strange Tales, number 174, March 1974. There Walks the Golem, written by Len Wine, penciled by John Buscema, inked by Jim Mooney, colored by Glynis Wine, lettered by Dave Hunt, and edited by Roy Thomas. Okay, before you get into the issue, Brandon, I just have to say, is this an all-star cast of a team that you want doing a horror-type story about a scary like len wine and sabusima edited by roy thomas like that is just a killer killer lineup like classic marvel 70s marvel stuff absolutely yeah i mean len wine i mean come on (laughs) yeah no it's a fantastic lineup of creators like exactly who you'd want to be working on this it's like you know outside of uh outside of something coming out of ec comics this is probably as good as you're gonna get yeah um Right. For anyone who might not know, um, Strange Tales is it's basically like an anthology series that would follow different characters throughout parts of its run. And so consistently there'd be like a character that might appear in there or might star in a run for however many issues. And then it moves on to the next character. So the whole idea here is not only that we get one issue starring the Golem, but that this issue um Issue number 174 is meant to be the start of this brand new central figure for Strange Tales. Like from now on, it's Strange Tales featuring the Golem. Right. That's kind of cool. It's pretty neat, right? It's like a really cool concept. And speaking of the Hulk connections, we'll just keep them alive. Right here on the cover as they're shooting at it, right? We have somebody asking, is he man or monster? Which is not too dissimilar from that famous first Hulk cover of is he man or monster or is he both? Right. Um, cool. So here we are on page two. We are introduced to our starting main character being Professor Abram Adamson, which there's something about that name that like I always want to say Professor Ab- Abraham. Sorry, 
Abe Abramson. Yeah, it's, I want <laughs> yeah. to be Abe Abramson, but Me it is too. Professor Abraham Adamson. It's hard to say. It's very, it's strangely a tongue twister. Um, Professor Abraham Adamson, which of course I love if we were to flip that, Adamson would be like Ben Adam, right? right. So Professor right. Abraham Ben Adam, the son of Adam, he's, um, you know, he's like, He's not quite an Indiana Jones because he doesn't seem that heroic, but like he's an archaeologist and a cool well, one who's out. He's like Henry Jones Sr. He's like Indy's dad. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So now I'm imagining Sean Connery playing <laughs> uh, Professor Abraham Adamson. So they're at a dig and he's telling a legend to the people. And that legend, of course, being the legend of the golem. And he mentions also in another wink, wink, nod, nod to the knowing reader. Our people suffered persecution in Prague. He mentions Rabbi Judah Lo Ben Betzalel, who creates a protector to protect the people of Prague, and that thing vanishes after. I'm going through it a little quick just because a lot of these issues we look at retell the story of the golem over and over again. We'll point out the major differences, but it's like you don't really need to hear us read to you the narration of the golem again and again and again. It's like uh, it's like um ragman and moon knight right every two got to tell their their origin every time we cover yes exactly it's like (laughs) oh it's a new issue let's tell the story again (laughs) Uh, which i'm pretty sure we covered the story of rabbi judah Loeb and Salel back in the ragman episode also because that's what you do whenever golem appears in a comic yeah (laughs) yeah um so on the next page uh once again we get this similar theme that the creature wanders off to keep fighting injustice so i need to look again i didn't get to read uh gershom sholem's book is like 200 pages the last 50 pages of which maybe it's 250 pages but like the last 50 pages of this book are all about the golem so i skimmed and read like i read a lot of it in preparation for this but not all of it I didn't see anything that seemed to implicate that there were any versions of the Golem story where the Golem just wanders off at the end. This seems to be a Marvel thing they held on to. But listeners, if you're more uh, knowledgeable about the Golem than I am and you're like, no, actually, there's this really famous version where the Golem wanders off, let us know. We'd love to know about it. Um, But anyway, the Golem wanders off. Um, They finally, they do indeed call it a Golem. And... Uh, Professor Adamson is looking for it because I guess the idea is that the golem's body is buried somewhere. And on page four, he claims the legends are true because he studied ancient parchments, which um, <laughs> ancient I guess, parchments. I guess that means like Kabbalistic texts or maybe sort of like old versions of Sefer Yitzirah or whatever it might be. And once again, um, like if he's talking about creating a golem, then sure, there's fairly old Jewish texts talking about it. But if he's talking about ancient texts describing where the golem of Prague went, again, I'm not sure that 300, 400 years ago counts as ancient. And and, and also they had books then. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't need the ancient parchments for it. But yeah. <laughs> my only assumption is that the parchments are like the instructions of how to create a golem, which separate from like them trying to find the golem. Well, let uh, me ask you. Let me ask you a question. Yeah, and you know, not to put you on the spot here, but to your knowledge, is there anything about something like a golem in the Talmud at all? Yeah, there's. I mean, there are multiple stories of in the Talmud of rabbis creating things and giving life to them. It Mm. doesn't necessarily use the word golem. It's not the same as the legend that we, that eventually takes shape and that we know, but there Mm. are certainly accounts of what we would call a golem in the Talmud. And again, um, you know, 
Sefer Yitzira is an early Kabbalistic text or maybe a pre-Kabbalistic text um, mm-hmm. that's literally the book of creation. The mm-hmm. idea is that by studying this book and you can use the literal al- alphabet, the alphabet to create life, right? It, it, mm-hmm. It's in Judaism, right from the beginning of Breshit, from the beginning of Genesis, we get the idea that how does God create the world? God speaks it into being. God said, let there be light, and there was light. So Judaism takes it literally that God created not via magic, but via speech, that speech becomes reality, which, side note, I think that also probably has something to do with the idea that God's commandments are meant to be followed because God's words become reality. Hence, if God tells you to do something, you're supposed to, like, it becomes reality. Anyway, um, Sefer Yetzirah looks at the the letters of the Aleph Bet as though it it's the DNA of the universe, that if you know the right letters and the right combinations, you can make anything happen. It might sound like magic to you, but it's basically like a mystical meditation to create life. And part of what Sefer Yitzira does is lays out for you the idea that if you study and you know the right letters and the right combinations of letters and the right formulas to do, you could recite them and create a golem. So mm-hmm. it is possible that he means he studied Sefer Yitzira, the book of creation, and knows how to create his own golem. But he's also an archaeological dig for a golem. Mm-hmm. Possible as an archaeologist, he found some parchments from the first century that of. Yeah, but the only problem is that he told the story of the golem of Prague. Right. So he's clearly <laughs> looking for the golem of Prague. Right, right. Like right. that's that's the only. Pro- anyway, whatever. We're spending too much time <laughs> okay. complaining about this. Unsurprisingly. They find a golem buried in the desert. Wow, they take it out. And uh, when we jump ahead to page 12, um, they've been stopped by this group of desert bandits. It's kind of gross stereotyping of like Arab desert bandits. I don't really love that part of the story. Which we've seen in Marvel before. Right, right. It happens occasionally. The bandits have shot Professor Adamson. He's dying. He's crawling to the golem that he's uncovered, holding a parchment and begging the golem to protect his family. And as he's dying, it says that he intones the mystic alphabets of the 22 gates. Now, um, this is, again, sounds very safe for Yitzhira to me because there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And these are considered, these letters are the gates for creation, right? So I do think it's getting into some mystical texts on how creation works, but he begs the golem. And at the very end of this issue, the golem comes back to life. And we're going to see in the future issues, there seems to be some sort of like sense of like, Professor Adamson died, but part of his essence or spirit kind of infused the golem, and the mm. golem is now like a mixture of the two of them. It's almost like um, like Swamp Thing or Man Thing, right? Like Swamp mm-hmm. Thing is like, it 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 was Alec Holland, but it also has Alec Holland. It's separate from Alec Holland, but it's influenced by him. Like, this right. golem is not Professor Adamson, but it's also not not Professor Adamson. Right, right, right. I like uh, the look of the golem in this one. In, in, he's less defined. Yeah, it's like very, like, he just sort of, he has like the bearish shape of a human being, but he's not like, he's just sort of like very broad in the chest, very sort of amorphous face, right? It's like not done by like a finely chiseled creation, but it's like, yeah, I made the play into the shape of of a man. So we get basically a to be continued as the golem attacks everybody. And you would expect this story to pick up. In Strange Tales number 175. It doesn't. But it doesn't. It picks up in Strange Tales number 176 because 175 
was just a reprint story. This was back in the time where if there was a delay, Marvel would sometimes just republish an old comic with that. So the, like, you know, I, I'm used to the, I, you know, same as you, Henry, when I grew up in the nineties, like, Multiples of 25 were big deals. The 25th, the 50th, right. the 75th, the 100th, those were all big deals. So 175, that's a big deal. The it idea that huge. it was, it would, it should have been huge. And it's uh, a reprint issue. It was such a weird <laughs> thing. Um, but we move on to Strange Tales 176 from July 74, Black Crossing. Now, our creative team has changed. Not only yeah. do we not get a direct continuation, but now it's suddenly written by Mike Friedrich. Penciled and inked by Tony DeZaniga, colored by Linda Lesman, lettered by Mark, and edited by Roy Thomas. Creative team changes in the middle of a story are never a great sign. No. <laughs> so this story continues. All we really need to know is that uh, on page 11, uh, one of the guards who has stopped our group of heroes, Professor Adamson's family, um, says... Legends also say the golem's power easily turns against those who attempt to control it. So they're playing up this idea that the golem's a defender and a protector, but maybe is going to turn against them. And we get introduced throughout this issue to a brand new villain known as Kabbalah, the unclean. Between this and Moon Knight, Henry, we now have a villain named Kabbalah and a villain named Zohar. <laughs> Jewish mysticism is not doing so well in the Marvel Universe. No, no, no. I think uh, Kate Kane over at DC had a better handle on, on Kabbalah. Yeah, right? DC, the Sphero are up in a poster in Kate Kane's room. Marvel, right. anything Kabbalistic is evil. <laughs> it feels borderline anti Semitic in a weird yeah. way, but we have this villain. I guess, like, I guess I can't disagree that like Kabbalah is a cool sounding name. But we move on to Strange Tales number one seventy seven from September nineteen seventy four. Um, there comes now raging fire. Great name for an issue. Yeah, um, we're once again written by Mike Friedrich. Once again penciled by Tony DiZaniga. Now inked by Steve Austin. Colored by Bill Nantlo. <laughs> give me lettered, a hell yeah. <laughs> give me a hell yeah for those inks, brother. Um, lettered by Tom Orzakowski and edited by Roy Thomas. Um, so we've got a consistent editor at least. This issue has some of the best stuff in it. I think like oh, opening page. Henry, can you? How would you describe this incredible image? Okay, the biggest golem you've ever seen filling an entire room. Like the biggest golem. <laughs> like not only the biggest golem filling a room. This is like a bigger room than you. This is like a palace right. room. Right. He's in like a castle room. Like he's in like the Hogwarts dining hall. Yes. <laughs> and he's very toned and defined and wearing a helmet, a Lloyd cloth. And superhero belt with a Jewish star and boots for some reason. I feel like he's like wearing like trunks for the X-Men, but instead of the <laughs> X on the like the center circle, it's a star of David. Right. It's kind of like the beast if it was a star of David. Yes. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it, it, it is just a very strange. I mean, so as I said a minute ago about my I really enjoyed the look of the the golem in the in yeah. 174. This is the opposite of that. <laughs> Yes, I mean, I'm enjoying it because it's amusing, but it's... It's so entertaining. And of course, uh, 
we've not yet had a version that has this, but what do we have on its forehead, Henry? I don't think we've mentioned this yet. Right. Now we have Emmet, and, you know, we hadn't seen that previously. It's so funny in these English stories because they have to write it out so you can read it. So, like, it's not Aleph Mem Tav. It's not Emmet. It's E-M-E-T-H. Emmet. Emmet. So we see this giant golem, and we get a narration letting us know a parable. Every day the golem gains more and more weight and becomes somewhat larger and stronger than all the others in the house in which he is created. So cool that basically we have this concept of a golem that every day gets bigger. The narration goes on to let us know that the golem's initial creation was by Rabbi Lowe in the 15th century, and it's reappeared many times since then. Really interesting because in actuality, the golem has certainly appeared before then. But and not many times since. <laughs> right. And also 15th century is like a little too early. Rabbi Lowe was not in the 1400s, I don't think. Rabbi Judah Lowe ben Betzalel is like 16th century. So they got the know, timing off a little bit. The timing's off. But anyway. Um, but there are there are story like apocryphal legends of like things happening in Prague in that synagogue, I think. Like, I think during the Holocaust, there are stories of... Oh, some... the, the idea that things have happened since totally makes sense. It's just like, that wasn't the first golem and they got right. the timing wrong. But right. you're completely right. Like, the idea that there's been many stories since totally makes sense. So the narration lets us know that uh, the, the, the lump of clay is always given a life essence that gives the golem mobility and some sense of life. And as it goes on... Um, it's like basically saying, we're going to tell you about one of those other golems that exist. And so uh, on the next page, as the story continues. Yeah. And by the way, yeah. it's giving the origin of the golem again. <laughs> right. But I do like that this time it's a different golem. Like yes, it really yes. is. This is a very different of the story because right. it lets us know that on the golem's forehead, Emet, truth is written. And if you erase the first letter, um, it becomes met, meaning dead or death. Or meaning dead, and so the golem will 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 die. Right, which is to your point earlier about spelling out e m e t h. It's really funny that what kills him is meth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very <laughs> funny. Look, sometimes you get addicted to things. <laughs> so basically, this is telling a legend, and it's saying that this particular man has a golem that grew too tall. As we saw at the beginning, the golem grew every day, and the golem grew too tall and kept growing, um, and the guy couldn't reach the golem's forehead, which means the guy could not readily erase it and get rid of this golem if he needed to. So... In terror, the man orders the golem to take off its boots. Turns out those nice boots we saw were not uh, an accident. They're actually very intentional. And so when the golem bends down to reach for his boots and remove them, the rabbi's able to, or the man's able to reach up and erase the letter and take away life from the golem. But as it says, but the whole heap of clay left over when the golem dies fell on the Jew and crushed him. And there's just this devastating image it's horrifying brandon <laughs> yeah like like this is like horror going on for sure of this like stone giant crushing this poor jewish man i mean really truly horrifying that that is quite a, a panel 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's well, I mean, and it's effective because the story is telling it to basically be like golem stories. You never know where they're going to go. It's it's going to end in tragedy, and it's indicated in the narration as this story comes from an 18th century Yiddish legend, and then we get a nice little asterisk down to an editor's box. And Henry, what does the editor's box tell us? Gershom Sholom on the Kabbalah and its symbolism, New York, 1965. Thank you, Roy Thomas. Thank you, Roy Thomas, for letting us know. So I already referenced Gershom Sholem earlier. I went in and I was reading it. And I want you to know that on pages 200 to 201 of this book, it says that there's an explicit account of Rabbi Elijah's activities, the earliest thus far known to us, written in 1674 by a man named Christoph Arnold. Um, and it basically explains that... Um, Someone created a golem or a man from clay and said Shem Hamifarash, or the sort of the, the interpreted name of God, the drawn out name of God, and brought this thing to life. And it did all sorts of housework. And it has Emmet written on its forehead. And in fact, in this version from 1674 of the golem legend, it says... It starts off very small at first, but it grows every day until it becomes larger than everything else in the house. And in order to take away the golem's strength, because as it gets bigger, it becomes more of a threat, they erase the olive from the word emmet so that all that remains is met. And then it says, there's a story of a Baal Shem in Poland by the name of Rabbi Elias, who made a golem who became so large that the rabbi could no longer reach his forehead to erase the letter Aleph. He thought up a trick, namely that the golem, being his servant, should remove his boots, supposing that when the golem bent over, he would erase the letters. And so it happened. But when the golem became mud again, his whole weight fell on the rabbi, who was sitting on the bench, and crushed him. I, A, just as chilling, I love the fact that this story, these opening three pages, two pages of this comic, literally come from a legend described in Gershom Sholem's book on the Kabbalah and its symbolism. I would love to know the, like how they came about that book. Like how, how did Mike Friedrich, Roy Thomas, you know, whoever was working on this, like that's, I mean, deep cut to reference. I mean, you, you had, you know, we had to search a little bit to find this book. Yeah. I mean, all I can say is this story is coming out in 1970. The book's from 1965. I have no idea what the reputation is, but maybe it was just one of those books that's like, I mean, you know, it was newer. It was sort of from only five years old. So maybe it was sort of a known thing. And maybe someone in the Marvel office is like, you know, a golem junkie or sort of a Jewish mysticism junkie and loves reading this stuff. And, you know, this guy, what is his name? Mike Friedrich, right? Was the author. Uh, so Friedrich gets this story handed over to him from Len Wein and is like, ah, oh, I guess I better do some golem research to write this properly. And, you know, I'm just spitballing and guessing, yeah, no, right? But it's like, the, yeah, that book wouldn't have been that old by then. Maybe it was still in stores. Like maybe you, you went to the bookstore at the corner and said, I'm looking for stuff on the golem. Exactly. But so cool that we get this. We move on to page 18. There's not too much more Jewish content other than uh, the golem is fighting these fire demons. As the fire demons burn him, it briefly flashes and reveals the word emet or emeth on his forehead. And somehow the re revelation of this word makes the golem stronger, empowered. It becomes more heat resistant, like basically like when there's discovery of the word, it's like the golem gets super powered in a way. Right. And then the issue ends still with a cliffhanger. And it's really weird because the book has a letter at the end of it saying, 
they're just giving up on the story because they couldn't figure it out. They're like, eh, we couldn't figure out what direction to go with in it. Like, is he like the Hulk? Is he like these other monsters? We don't really know. We're just done with we're done with the golem. That's weird, right? Like, I don't recall. I mean, I, I loved the letter columns back in the day, but I don't recall them ever saying, hey, we don't know what to do. So we're just packing it in. Like, and there are times, you know, over the years where something hasn't paid off and yeah. they kind of just, you know, new writing team comes in, the series just ends. But like, you never, I've never seen in the letter column the next month. Sorry about that. We just didn't know what to do. This is very strange. It's very, very weird. I assume Roy Thomas wrote the letter column. He's the editor. Right. And then we're like, I'm just noticing this. It says basically like, so what's going to happen next? Okay. So he's not Jewish, but we've got Adam Warlock. (laughs) (laughs) So it's so funny that that is really funny that, that they put that in there. It's very funny. And I don't know how much we should get into it, Henry, but I was showing you in one of the earlier issues, there were letters to the Golem from fans. And there were three letters that were like, about running the gamut of what we would expect. I wish we could find all the people who wrote in Henry because we get one letter that's essentially saying, what a cool character with the golem, but I want you to know there's a problem. You didn't include the fact that the golem should have the word Emmet and explains the whole Emmet removing the olive part, which is really fun. Then we get a letter that's essentially saying, a Jewish hero? Who says this isn't the Marvel age of firsts? So we have someone in the letter column calling out how much they love their being a Jewish hero, which by the way, the golem is from Jewish legend. But if we take seriously the idea that the golem's a Jewish hero, he's again, one of our oldest characters, like 1970. I'm blanking. When, when was Seraph? Did we get one in 69 or was he post 70? No, he's that's the seventies already. Right. So, depending how you count it, is the Golem the first Marvel or DC Jewish superhero? I guess. I mean, you know, we we, we keep back. First, we thought it was Kitty Pride. Then we thought it was Colossal Boy. Then we thought it was Seraph. <laughs> I guess if he's a Marvel superhero, I mean, he has his own title. Technically, the Golem is the first ever superhero. Right. Technically. And the final letter that appears. Yeah, Seraph was 1977. Right, so it's predating it by like seven years. It's insane. (laughs) Finally, we end up getting a letter that is talking about the Arab-Israeli war and critiquing Marvel for talking about there being two sides and two-sidesing it and presenting Arabs in a poor way. And it's like a really interesting call. And the Marvel editorial's response, which is so interesting as they try to say, you know, we're not propaganda. We have a bunch of different people is they say regarding the Arab Israeli conflict, there's as many different viewpoints on the question as there are people. And that's true in the Marvel bullpen too. This is 1970, right? We're like three years after the six day war and we are pre Yom Kippur war. And there are, they're talking about the Arab Israeli conflict. And then the Marvel editorial says, We have at least one Catholic who's entirely pro-Israel, one Jew who wants both sides to blow themselves up and let the rest leave the rest of the world alone, and several people of varying faiths who support the Arab position. 
Just like fascinating to find that in a letters column, yeah. right? Like one response again saying like, oh, you didn't include the Emmett part on the forehead. Shame on you, Marvel. One saying, a, a Jewish superhero, what will you think of next? And the other saying, this is, you know, like inappropriate given the Arab-Israeli conflict. You're not giving enough, right? Like I feel like you could do such a sociological study just of that letters column. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, and on the one hand, it's like, that's why I missed the letters column. On the other hand, could you imagine... Like, well, now the letters column is just tweeting, but like, yeah, what would they even print? You know, everything would be so sanitized and, you know. Absolutely. Very interesting. As we said, it's really, really weird that there's just like we get a cliffhanger and there's no resolution. Yeah. And then five years later. <laughs> no, sorry. Uh, this story was in 74. Sorry, I got that wrong. Oh, this whole time I've been saying 1970. That was the Hulk issue. This was in 74 and 75. So it still predates Seraph. Yeah, by yeah, a couple yeah. Okay. years. By a couple years. In 1975, so less than a year later, there's a random issue of Marvel 2-in-1. Marvel 2-in-1 number 11, which usually stars the thing partnering up with a different person. And it gives us a resolution to the Golem story. It's just randomly in there. There's no Jewish content. It's just the end of the Golem story, the wrapping up of the cliffhanger. And I think it's like interesting in retroactively now that the thing is out as a Jewish character. At the time, he wasn't. But it's really interesting to have the thing and the golem together in this issue of Marvel 2-in-1. And they have like a bit of a kinship and understanding of what it's like to be monsters on the outside. Yeah. And by the way, yeah. this was co-written by Roy Thomas. So maybe he, maybe this was just like always like a little bug up his butt. He wanted to finish the story. You know, he absolutely seemed to be interested in the golem, I guess. Yeah, so bring it to a close of some sort. It's very funny reading Thing pre-2002 when he's not yet Jewish because the villain, as we said, is named Kabbalah and the thing's like, there's some schmuck called Vanilla or Cornballa or something like that. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's, it's just like, wow, he's really learned a lot. Going I know, 2024, yeah. 2024, Ben would have been like, let me teach you something. Right, <laughs> so let me teach you friend. something. Let me tell you why, why it's a problem that you're calling yourself Kabbalah. It's actually, I mean, yeah. it, it seems like the, the Marvel writers like really, really want to make a connection both metaphorically and explicitly between, between the, the thing and the golem and the Hulk and the Golem. And to me, it just never really quite lands. Like, what are you trying to say exactly? Because the, the whole point of both is that they're not just monsters, right? That's the right, point of right. the Golem too, I think. And that even why skipping over the part of the, the Golem being put to rest is, was it's weird for that previous issue that we looked at because the idea is that the power is so great that it must be stopped. Even the good can't can't use it. And that's not a connection I would make to the thing or the Hulk at all. I just they it seems like the, the thing that makes them similar is that they're these hulking monsters that are when when they're in action. But what we know about the thing and the Hulk is that they're people with feelings. And even Absolutely. when they're even when they're in their monstrous forms, they're they're people with feelings. And the golem by definition definition isn't. <laughs> so, right, right, right. I mean, it's interesting because I think from rabbinic and 
religious Jewish perspective, part of what Golem stories do is they indicate the folly of man, right? Like, right. it's often described that human beings are in the image of God and they imitate God, but the one difference is that God, right, like, creates life and creates the universe in a way that human beings can't. Now you could argue human beings can actually create life and they can uh, through certain processes and in partnership, but it's like humans can't just like create life the way that like, like a, God creating Adam in the garden of Eden or creating Adam on day six in the first creation story. Like it's essentially God creating a golem and then God brings, breathes life into that golem. And that's what makes the golem into like Ben Adam, an actual human right. being. So right. in a lot of ways, I think golem stories are sort of human beings going a bit too far. And even though like they're well studied and they have that, like, as you said, even with the best of intentions, they can create something, but the life they create is not equal or parallel to a human being. It is not right. dynamic and independent and full of the spark or the neshama that keeps a human. So they inevitably like grow too big or get too restless or cause chaos because they just can't be controlled. They're not full humans. So I agree with you fully. Like the thing and the Hulk are such different stories. The thing is really a tragedy about a wonderful, sweet man trapped in a monstrous exterior. Like in some ways, I think the thing is more similar to someone like Nightcrawler, right? It's like what happens yes. when the sweetest, nicest person is like trapped in this monstrous visage. And the Hulk is of course a story of like uh of anger problems and of your shadow self and what happens when that takes o takes over. Um it's 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 sort of a Jekyll and Hyde more than anything. Right. Um anyway, um it is strange that they keep making those connections. We'll come back to it eventually, but uh we've got one more issue to cover for today. Um we're jumping forward now to forward and back. <laughs> both forward and back. We're now moving into what I'm calling Golem 2, whose real name is Jacob Goldstein. Uh, and his first appearance is in Invaders number 12. And what do you know? We're going to be looking at Invaders number 12 from October 1976. Henry, do you want to say anything about Invaders before we dive into the details of this issue? I, we've talked about this before, and at the risk of being repetitive, we've talked about this when we were talking about Captain America, when we were talking to Jerry Ordway about Superman. I love the concept of the invaders. I love the idea of superheroes in the world of World War II who could help and be a part of it. I mean, just, I mean, Captain America, period. But I like, I just like the team aspect of that, that there was a super team at that time. And I, you know, we talked about Jerry Ordway, you know, about Superman going back in time to the forties and stuff. You can't undo, you can't do that in comics. It's like one of those things, like you can't kill Hitler in a comic, you know, can't change right. that, that aspect of time, but the invaders just sort of gives enough little massaging of the timeline that perhaps there was, it's the same thing with the golden age of heroes in DC with the all-star squadron. And and uh, I just I like I just like that thing. That's all. Yeah, no, it's great. This concept that like there were this hero team, they were fighting. And also it's like they're part of the war effort, meaning they're attacking strategically. And these are not the heroes that at least at this time are so powerful that they can go in and single handedly change the course of war. Right. right it's like right. Um, for anyone listening, the invaders, at least at this time, the roster is Captain America, his partner, Bucky. 
uh, Namer the Submariner and the original Human Torch, who was actually an android, not a member of the Fantastic Four. He was an android that was like created that something went wrong where anytime he like touches oxygen, he burst into flames. Awesome. I mean, that's real. That's a very, very old comic. Yeah, absolutely. So in the 1970s, right, like Captain America was created in uh, in the 1940s. We get these like early Captain America issues. The character isn't really used that much until he comes back in the 60s, right, with the Avengers. And in the 70s, Marvel basically was like, oh, we can tell like quote unquote lost or old stories of what the invaders were up to during world war two and publish it these days. So it was like contemporaneous in the 1970s, but telling the stories of what captain America and Namor the Submariner were up to back in the forties. And this issue happens to be the first appearance of uh, spitfire. Who's another one of those old characters. And I think it doesn't happen until much later. I've definitely read issues for like Spitfire is a vampire. And that's why. Oh, God. It's like, yeah, wild stuff happens. But anyway, Henry, you want to tell us about this issue? Yeah, this is Invaders number 12, October 1976 to the Warsaw Ghetto, written by Roy Thomas, penciled by Frank Robbins, inked by Frank Springer, colored by Phil Rachelson, lettered by Joe Rosen and edited by Roy Thomas. I don't know if it's a good idea to edit your own work. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> it seems like someone like a there would be like a funny editor's note in a Marvel column about that. You know, they would they would make a funny quip about that. I feel like I can't tell you how much time I spent trying to find out if Frank Robbins was Jewish, but I'm sorry today, but I couldn't didn't find uh, an answer. <laughs> right, well, maybe one of our listeners knows. Yeah. So on page six of this issue, we have the Human Torch arriving at the Tower of London because. A traitor has been held prisoner. So the idea being like, this is someone who's in the Western world, uh, but has somehow betrayed uh, the West to the to the Axis powers. And it's a guy named Professor Gold. And as the Torch goes to see him, Torch realizes easily that this guy is actually Jewish. And his real name is not Professor Gold, but Professor John Goldstein. So Professor Goldstein confesses, yes, indeed, he is Jewish, and that is his great shame, which, you know, you hear that at first, you're like, what do you mean it's a shame? Why is he ashamed to be Jewish? But, you know, he actually means, like, the shame of what happened. So he tells the story. He changed his name when he came to England. And on page seven, we see flashbacks to John's childhood with his younger brother, Jacob. We're in the Jewish quarter of Warsaw. We see them as young boys. They have pests. Jacob has a hat. They look like little from kids. Yes. Yeah. Jacob is obsessed with rocks for some reason. <laughs> they didn't have much in the in there. <laughs> they definitely did not. It basically lets us know and suggests that Hitler hates Polish Jews more than most, uh, more than other Poles, right? It's like Hitler invades Poland, and it's clear that Hitler hates the Polish Jews more than most. We yeah, see no armband. Shit. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, yeah, 19, 1976. It's telling us, yeah. Um, there's armbands marking the Jews in Warsaw as Juden, and we see that they're forced into this Jewish ghetto. You see uh, the two brothers a little older now, um, and in the window you see like a clear star of David, and it says Jude in the window or Yude, um, and they seem to be in some sort of bookshop as they're forced into the Jewish ghetto. Um, and it lets us know that John decided to flee west, and Jacob decides to stay. And 
it baffles the hell out of me because if they were forced into the ghetto, how could John just flee? I don't, once the ghetto was established, my understanding is there wasn't like, I don't think it was the ghetto unless someone was like, oh, I'm going to leave the country now. And then the Nazis were like, sure, no problem. But maybe he was, I mean, yeah, it doesn't say it this way, but maybe he meant escape the ghetto. Like, yeah, did, I, I would hope that's escape. what it is. I, I, I did some looking, right? Like Hitler invades Poland in, in September 39. On April 1st, 1940 is when construction of the Warsaw Ghetto begins. Uh, Nazi officials officially announce it on October 16th, 1940. And by November 15th, 1940, the ghetto is closed to the outside world. So maybe this is happening slightly pre November 1940, or at least that's when when he left. It's also wild that like we're still in World War II because we're still dealing with the invaders. But if you look at John in the flashback and how young he looks versus this professor now, right. it looks like he aged 40 years right, in, right, right. in two. Right. Anyway, um, he goes and he starts John escapes Poland, starts working for the British. Um, but then Nazis encounter him and reveal that they have Jacob kidnapped. And if John doesn't work for them, they're going to kill his brother. And so uh, Human Torch hears the story and he flies off. And the narration lets us know that a man prays, perhaps for the first time in years, as we see John behind bars praying with his hands clasped and his chin above them, looking like he's Christian. And yeah, he's clearly kneeling. Like it's how many times are we going to see this in a comic? Jews don't pray like that. It's not at all. It looks so like, I mean, again, you saw him as a kid. He looked so Hasidic. Like this guy would know, like I, I would expect him to be doing like Takanun or something like that. Right. Like I expect yeah. him to be collapsing, falling face down. Like that would make a lot more sense. Right. Right. Full prostration. Pre- maybe. Yeah. Absolutely. Beating yeah. his chest, beating maybe, his chest, right? ripping his but, clothes or something. But the idea that he has his hands clasped under his chin, like, Oh, it's, it feels yeah. so foreign. Yeah. It's, it's like the artist was like, they won't know it's praying unless I draw it this way. Right. Right. Yeah. Sorry, I, I, even I'm though it literally says a man prays. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> very strange. So Torch goes and gathers up the rest of the invaders, and by page twelve, Namer's flagship arrives near the Jewish ghetto. Uh, I, I'm assuming this is in Warsaw, and not in any other ghetto. Um, we see that there's writing verboten Jude, right? Like Jews are forbidden. There's Magen Davids, and uh, we come in to find the grossest thing, which is that a Nazi officer is trying to steal a kiss from a Jewish woman while his fellow officer is calling her a Jewess. Give the Jewess a kiss. Ugh. Yuck. The invaders stop and help this woman, and they're mentioning that they're trying to find Jacob Goldstein, and the woman knows, did you say Jacob Goldstein? I know Jacob Goldstein. (laughs) I love it. It's like Jewish geography is happening. Right. Right. (laughs) In the panel. Yeah, of course I know Jacob Goldstein. I can help you out. So she brings him to his bookstore, and we see Jacob with a large yarmulke on. He's studying what looks to be – it's either a book on rocks, given what he has, or I think it's a safer because we see like a star of David in sort of what's either the the bookmark or sort of like the clasp. You know, it looks like one of those books when you close it, you could like lock it, and it's sort of the like ribbon that would lock it. 
has a Star of David. He also has this band that looks like a Star of David. And I don't know if it's intentional or not, but the way it's, it's a white background with a blue star. Yeah. It, it really looks like an Israeli flag of sorts. Right. Yeah. That's weird. So Jacob Goldstein's like, hey, who are you? He doesn't understand why Cap's there. And on page 14, Jacob sticks to his guns. He refuses to leave. He acknowledges he's in no more danger than any of his other fellow Jews here in the ghetto. And he won't fight back because uh, they need to have patient submission to the will of God, um, which is, you know, a bit of a shame to to see him saying. Like, it very much fits in with this image of, like, oh, why did the Jews let themselves get led to slaughter when, you know, in, in Warsaw of all places, like, there was such resistance in the Warsaw ghetto. Like, it right. feels... Like a shit, but maybe it's the narrative. And he also says, This too shall pass, which of course feels like a reference to Gamza Yavor, this too shall pass, literally. Uh, and then what only makes sense in this comic, because otherwise you would think this man's mad, he's like, eh, there's nothing we can do. Once upon a time there was a golem in Prague. That could have helped <laughs> us fight back if only we had that. I can't imagine anyone in the Warsaw ghetto being like, oh, if only we had a golem, we could fight back. But otherwise, we can't. Oh, well. <laughs> um, it's really strange that that's the thing to be brought up. Um, and unfortunately, the Nazis then show up to the bookshop. On page 17, they start fighting the heroes. And on page 17, the Nazis have Jacob and they threaten that they're going to kill him if the invaders don't surrender. Jacob's like, let him kill me. Who cares? Right? And the invaders because they're heroes all surrender uh which is like a wild scene and jacob hates it because he's seeing it he's like no no no, my life's my responsibility you can't do this and the nazis capture them they basically say like we should kill you but your life isn't worth it to us like you're not as valuable as these guys and jacob realizes like oh my gosh like they don't care enough to kill him and He'd been operating incorrectly. He thought all this time that he could just like ignore evil and, and things would happen. But he's like, I actually have responsibility to fight back because even worse thing, it's not like me doing nothing has a net zero impact. Like it's actually allowing them to do even worse things. Mm -hmm. And we don't yet know what he's going to do, but it lets us know that the next issue, the golem walks again and that's a cliffhanger. And that's mm -hmm. actually where we're going to end today. No. <laughs> Yeah. Um, we'll have to see what happens later. But Henry, just, you know, I know we're midway through, but like, what is your take on on this invaders issue and on the golem in general right now? Yeah, I mean, I'm sort of I'm not really, you know, tracking which golem is which like that's not meaningful to me. It's just sort yeah. of all big one big thing. Maybe it's because they keep retelling the story. Jalo, but I, I'm really enjoying this. You know, it's funny. Like I was thinking, I wonder if we'll ever do an episode where the Holocaust doesn't come up, <laughs> you know? Mm. And then, and then while I was thinking about that, I was like, I wonder if we'll ever do a, a episode where someone isn't being oppressed, if Jews aren't being oppressed and someone has to rescue them. <laughs> so it's there. You know, it's, it, it, I don't know. It, it, I don't know what my point is other than that. It seems to be a, a, a theme. And, but I, I, I don't know. I, 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 oh, I know. My point is, is that I enjoyed myself talking about it and looking Absolutely. at these topics. These were all, there was nothing. I don't know if you noticed or maybe people listening out there noticed. We didn't get really mad about something for about 15 minutes. Like it was all good for the most part. Yeah. You know, the most yeah. Part. There's like Little an image. Yeah. There. Yeah. Yeah. I think like they were very fun. It's interesting as you're describing like 
I mean, you know, it's the invaders. It's a team in 1940s. I would hope that it would, in, in, <laughs> you know, like I think if we had an invaders comic that was dealing with Jewish content and had no mention of the Holocaust, we'd also that would probably be weird. Be upset because yeah. be like, yeah. what's going on? Um, you know, I, I, I forget if we've mentioned on this show before, but there's this, this book called We Spoke Out Comic Books in the Holocaust. And it's mm-hmm. a bunch of interviews with writers and artists who did comic book stories about the Holocaust, which actually were kind of crucial because we take it for granted now, but in the first few decades following the Holocaust, there wasn't much public conversation about it, right? Like a lot of the things that we know weren't being discussed, weren't being described. And in many ways, comic books were sort of ahead of the curve in telling Holocaust stories. So I I feel you. And I also, it's like, it'd be great to do an episode or a topic where we don't touch the Holocaust, but I feel like the comics are kind of like, tied to it in a certain way. It's like a badge of honor in terms of like telling a story that others were afraid to tell at the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's good. Yeah. I'm glad we get to talk more about him. Me too. I can't wait to see what happens to Jacob Goldstein, what happens to the golem, uh, where we go next. But until we come back, I'm Brandon Bernstein. I'm Henry Bernstein. No No relation. Thanks for listening. You can follow us at Jewish Comics Pod on Facebook and Twitter, or you can email us at jewishcomicspodcast at gmail.com. Please don't forget to give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, and you can hit the subscribe button if you haven't already.